to the third season of the Road to Nashville podcast, part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. I am your host, Michael Gallagher. Cutler Klein, he is, I'm not going to say he's no longer with us because it makes it sound like he died. I do that all the time. Cutler Klein has moved on to Nashville SC. So this season, I have a new co-host. Um, you guys probably know her. She's been doing some stuff with us for a couple of years now. Abigail Martin is going to be joining me as my new co-host for this season. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're going to start things off. Typically, we're a podcast, a, pro, uh, a prospect-only podcast, but we're going to switch things up. We're going to we're going to talk some Preds along with the the prospect stuff too. Um, so we're going to kick off this episode starting about the big news of the day: Matt Duchesne's finally a member of the Nashville Predators. David Poyle finally gets his guy, and at a, at a bargain price too. I mean, eight million dollars a year. I feel like is a steal for a player of Duchesne's caliber, especially when the national media was saying he was going to get anywhere from nine to ten, ten and a half million per year. So $8 million, I feel like, is, is a very good bargain. Um, theoretically, he should slide in on that second line, um, be playing with Mikhail Granlin and Craig, Craig Smith. Um, another option could be bumping Kyle Turris down to the third line, or you could you could have him split out as a wing as well. Um, but I, the, the Preds, offensively, they, I think they're set now. You do lose P.K. Subban, so you give a little bit on the defensive end, but you gain offensively. Uh, how would you grade the move of uh, signing Matt Duchesne? I th- I would give it I'd give it an A somewhere plus or minus I'm not sure, but and like you said, in order to get him as such a steal, that's pretty cheap for his amount of talent and what he's going to bring to the Preds. And I don't know, it was just it says a lot about him and how much he wanted to be in Nashville to take take that eight and be okay with it for seven years. That's really impressive. It says a lot about how he wants to be here. And as far as lines go. I would not be afraid of splitting up Jofa for a minute just to see how he fits on the first line with uh, Forsberg, but I don't know. That's definitely an option. I feel like there's with Duchesne, there's just so many different options you can have with him. You can obviously put him on the first or the second line. Um, Jofa's just so good, though. Splitting mm-hmm. up that line, you run the risk of ruining that, that chemistry with that line, but Duchesne could be every bit as good as Ryan Johansson, so it might work out if you do that. Um, I do think in the long run he, he fits in on the second line as the second center. And let's be honest, there's worse things in the world for the Preds to have a third line centered by Kyle Terrace. I mean, traditionally, he's he's historically averaged about 19 goals and 40 points per season. That seems like a really good fit on the third line, considering, you know, you have Craig Smith and you have Mikhail Granlin, who are both 20, 25. Granlin could be a 30-goal scorer in this league. You, you have... You have Duchesne centering them, and suddenly you have secondary scoring on the second line that you didn't have last year, especially in the playoffs when the Preds were struggling to score at all. Granted, Dallas is one of the best defensive teams in the league, but still, they were struggling. And who knows, if you go into the end of the postseason again and, and say Victor Arvidsson struggles on that first line, you have the potential to, to move Matt Duchesne up on that line to, to get some of that, that scoring punch on the first line that they were missing last year, too. So I feel like this opens, it opens a lot of doors for David Poyle to play with the lineup. And we all know that Peter Laviolette, likes to mix up and match his lines, and he switches them all the time. So I feel like if anyone benefits from this besides, you know, the fan base, it's Peter Laviolette, that he now has so much flexibility with his lines, one, two, and three. Yeah, I'm on the same boat with you. If Just because of the injuries and they that Jofa was split up, Duchesne could fit anywhere, and it's really nice that he's flexible enough and finding the best chemistry. So where he does end up will be very interesting to see how that goes out. But I'm... I don't know. I kind of want to try it. Just if it was me, I'd want to try it and see where it goes. And if it doesn't work, like you said, slide him to, run, slide him to the second round. And the, and the good thing is now the Predators, whereas this this 
organization for the longest time never had an elite number one center. Now they arguably have two number one centers with Johansson and Duchesne. I, I just, the idea of splitting up Jofa is intriguing, but the fact that you're paying Ryan Johansson as much as you are, you don't want to ruffle his feathers bringing the new guy in. So I think you just kind of leave him there. But, I mean, the, the potential of having Philip Forsberg play along Matthew Shane or Victor Arvidsson play along Matthew Shane, kind of like a couple years ago when the Blackhawks, they never had uh, Taves and Kane on the same line. They usually had Taves on the first line and Patrick Kane was on the second line. I think that that might be something they'd look at too with maybe having a Forsberg or an Arvidsson, at least one of them always paired with Duchesne that way. Both of your top two centers have a dynamic 30-goal score on, on their wing at all times. I think that's really intriguing as well. Yeah, I mean, Forsberg, he, he you can put him wherever you want to and he's going to find a way to succeed. And then with Arvidsson, and a little bit last year, we saw him struggle just a little so, yeah, being with Duchesne or being with Johansson, see which one works well with the other. I mean, Duchesne, he's a goal-scoring player, and he's a playmaker as well. So, I don't. it's going to be very interesting to see his role and how much he's going to take up of that. And on the other side, the, the whole reason that the Matt Duchesne signing happened was David Poyle trading P.K. Subban, clearing that, that cap space in order to make this, this signing of Matt Duchesne happen. I kind of want to revisit this trade, because initially when it happened, I didn't like the return that the Preds got. I mean, P.K. Subban is an elite top 10 defenseman in the league. He's, he's a former Norris Trophy winner. Um, but after development camp, I'm, I'm kind of changing my mind a little bit. I Initially, I didn't know anything about Santini or Davies, and I was like, two second-round picks. You should have at least got one first-round pick for him. I would have been okay with that. But it was two second-round picks, plus two guys who I've never really heard of before. After watching development camp, um, I'm really, really high on, on Igor Afanasiev, who we're going to talk about a little bit more later on. Um, but he's he's one of the guys that the Preds drafted with one of those second-round picks they got from New Jersey. And Jeremy Davies, I feel like he he's also he, like the forgotten man in this trade. Um, I really like what he showed in development camp and in the future Stars game. I feel like he can be a solid contributor to this team either this year or next year. Um, kind of looking at free agency, one of the, re, one of the areas I think the Preds need to address is that third pairing because Dante Fabro is either going to slide up and take Ryan Elsa's spot playing with Roman Yossi, or he's going to go to where P.K. Subban was, he's going to be playing with Matias Ekholm. So you're going to need help on that third pair with Dan Hamuse. I feel like if you don't see the Preds sign anyone or trade for anyone, it could be because David Poyle thinks that Davies is ready and that he might be slotted on, on that third pair. And I feel like there's a lot of people, if you just listen to interviews and, and radio hits and stuff, people are really high on Jeremy Davies. And after watching development camp, I can kind of see why. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the return... Whenever it was released that that was the trade, I mean, everybody, of course, first heard that P.K. Subban was being traded, and then later on got the news of the return. Nobody was happy. Everybody was like, you're trading P.K. Subban for basically nothing, which, of course, you can see, you can understand, but it was for Matt Duchesne, and it was moving money to get uh, Duchesne, and if not, someone else, but mainly him. And, yeah, I'm with you, Davies. Um, kind of impressed me. Santini, I would agree, is the forgotten man, but Afanasiev, that's, that's a kicker. That's great. That's setting the Preds up for success later. Afanasiev, uh, he he kind of took development camp by storm. Um, he was probably my biggest observation from development camp was he was the, the standout prospect of the entire week. Um, he really turned heads. He showed that he has the raw skills to eventually become a 20 or 30 goal scorer in this league. I'm not just trying to hype this kid up because he had a couple good plays and we fell in love with him. I feel like he really is... Kind of like a couple years ago when the, when the Preds drafted Fabro in the first, they got Sam Girard in the second. A lot of people said Sam Girard could be better than Dante Fabro, and for now that, that looks like it's the case. I feel like 
Afanasyev is kind of in the same mold. And just to kind of prove that this isn't, you know, the PBR hype train, we're not hyping up Afanasyev, I asked everyone, uh, all the local reporters at Development Camp, who besides, you know, Fabro and Tolvanen stood out, they were all in agreement that it was Afanasyev, and this included us, Justin Bradford, Jeremy Gover, Katie Myers, Robbie Stanley, Stanley, and John Glennon. So it's not just we're all hyped up about Afanasyev. He caught everyone's attention. I believe he can turn into a player in, in a few years that kind of what they were hoping Kevin Fiala would be when they drafted him 11th overall. Uh, the trade, if that happens, the trade looks pretty good on David Poyle's part, not only because he got the cap space, he brought Matt Duchesne in, but he got a solid third-pairing defenseman in Davies, who a lot of people are very high on. And Afanasyev could become one of those, I don't want to call him an elite forward, but one of those game-breaking forwards. It looks like he has the potential based off of what he showed us in development camp. Yeah, he has a long shot. He has a big frame. He knows how to use it. He's not as aggressive as you would think he would be, but he really impressed me. He's really improvisational, and I made the comparison from him and Philip Forsberg, but simply because he has that ability to be, he can think on his feet, and he can think of the best way to go around the defense and really charge the net. And even after he goes and breaks through towards the net, he's ready for a rebound. Uh, Justin Bradford noticed it out for me, but he has the stick out ready to go and ready to get that rebound and either tap it in for his own goal or for a player's. And he creates a lot of traffic in front of the net, which for a long time, the Predators, that's what you looked, looked after for Brian Boyle and Simmons. That's what every Preds fan had hoped for that he would bring to the table. And eventually, Afanasiev is going to work into that point. He's a playmaker, and he can shoot for himself. He has a heavy shot, really nice release as well. And I don't know, he, yeah, I'm hyping him up. I can I can definitely <laughs> say I'm going to hype him up. Yeah, I have a lot of faith in him. That's something else that I noticed, too, that I really liked about him, was not only did he usually get a shot off, but he followed it up. He was right in front of the goaltender. He was in the crease. He was ready to chip in a rebound. And honestly, that's something a lot of the players on the Preds right now can learn from someone like that is he's only, what, 18, I think? The fact that he's already doing that now, he's not going to have to be taught how to do that. that. That bodes really well for not only him, but for the future of the Preds as well. Um, Brian Boyle's probably not going to end up coming back just because he's going to cost a couple million. The Preds only have a, a few million dollars left in the salary cap. Right now, they do have to re-sign Sissons and Grimaldi. Um, plus, there's I mean, there's really no place to put him. You're going to have Johansson, Duchesne, Bonino, and Sissons probably as your top four centers. Um so to figure out what, what you're going to do with Kyle Turris, if you're going to keep him, if you're going to move him to you know split him out in the wing or whatever, there really is no spot for Brian Boyle, which kind of sucks because, I mean, the Preds' power play was was terrible, but it did improve a little bit after the trade of Brian Boyle having a big body go park himself in front of the goaltender and try to chip in a few of those those rebounds there. But someone like Afanasiev, who not only drives the net, follows through on his shot, camps out in front of the goal, he's, he's just he's a presence. It's almost... It's kind of like if you were to take Victor Arvidsson and make him like 6'2", that's kind of how often Ossiev, what he reminds me of, the way he plays. Yeah, I can see that, and I don't know. You would, It's not the worst thing that Afanasyev doesn't, he's not your enforcer like he looks like he would be because he does have that playmaking ability, but he struggles on his defensive side. So that's really what he's going to uh, work with in Windsor. And seeing that progress, if he gets his defense on top of his game and puts all those pieces together... The things he can do with the Preds, hopefully still with the Preds, is going to be amazing. He's going to be, you won't say it, but I'll say it. I would say he'd be elite. But it's <laughs> he, a matter I, of that defensive I game. believe he has the potential to be elite, but it's, 
we were saying the same thing about Ellie Tolvin in two years ago when he was drafted and up to the KHL stuff, and I still feel like he's not NHL ready yet, which most feel like he should be, which we'll, we'll get to that later on. It's It wouldn't be a Road to Nashville podcast if we didn't talk about Ellie Tolvin and <laughs> Ad nauseum, but we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but a little, last thing on, on Afanasiev, kind of me and Justin were talking about this a little bit. I absolutely wouldn't be surprised if he put up 80 points in the junior leagues this year. He, he's got that kind of potential. And... You, like like you said, we're we're not trying to hype him up, but it's hard not to get excited when you watch someone ooze talent like that, where he could potentially make this team in two to three years. If he if he spends two years scoring eighty to hundred points in the juniors, I don't see why there's any reason why they wouldn't call him up and at least give him a shot in Nashville. Yeah, I agree. And if if he does not put up the points and just the records and everything in Windsor, that's a problem. I really expect him to succeed and really thrive and really find his defensive game and continue with his offensive. And he will shine. If he doesn't shine, that is that is an issue. And you would expect Tolvanen to be ready by now as well. But I guess we'll, just, we'll wait. We'll wait on that one. Yeah, that'll, that'll be the last <laughs> thing we talk about because there's so much to talk about when it comes to Ellie Tolvanen, the guy that he inspires a fan base but enrages them all at once. It's amazing how <laughs> polarizing he is for, for a 20-year-old kid. Um the next thing I kind of want to talk about, I'll, I'll let you lead this one off, is you were at development camp the, the entire week. Who were, other than Afanasiev, who were some other prospects that kind of stood out to you or that caught your attention or, or that you may not have noticed before, but that really stood out to you during the week? So I really liked the hometown boys. I don't think, I don't think they're going to be NHL ready. But if y'all did not get a chance to check out the hometown boys, Dylan Moulton and Ben Schultes, that is a great story to read, read up on. Uh, they were great, well-rounded guys. Um, but as far as on the ice, of course, off Nasia, as we've praised and mentioned, um, mismatch, I could see, of course, Dante Fabro. I'm not going to, but I don't think we're going to consider him. <laughs> Dante um, <laughs> Fabro is not a, a prospect. No, not at all. Why he was at development camp, I don't know. He's already got a roster spot, but we digress. It's fine. It's okay. I mean, <laughs> just to sprinkle some confidence for everybody, of course. But as far as goaltenders go, um, Connor Ingram, I loved watching. Uh, Thomas Pomachka, he's got a couple years in him, and he could be a backup for, I don't want to say Peck is gone, but I'll say a backup for Soros. And he could really work his way up there as well, um, Connor Ingram. Mismash was great to watch. Um, Magwood stood out during development, uh, not development camp, but the Future Stars game. I just feel like that's his game. That's kind of where he thrives. He had a hat trick <laughs> yeah. last year. He had, a, he had a goal in this one. I don't know what it is about the Future Stars game, but that's, that's Zach Magwood's time to shine. <laughs> it really and truly is. Um, but Philip Tomasino, I cannot forget him. The first day of development camp, he wiggles through. He had a spinorama in between two defensemen right in front of the crease. And it was really, really nice to see him be able to have full control of the puck under the pressure and be able to still strive towards that net and put a shot in the back of the net. Yeah, Tomasino is a really intriguing one to me. Obviously, he's the first-round pick, so he's going to get a lot of the attention. Yeah. Um, but what I really like was, not only does he come in, he immediately becomes the Preds' second-best prospect behind Ellie Tolvanen. So he's going to have those the hype, and he's going to have that pressure and all these expectations on him. But like you said, he came in, he it's like he didn't miss a beat. He came in, um, scored a couple goals. He had, he had two goals in the Future Stars game. He looked like he belonged out there. He didn't look like he was overwhelmed by all the attention he was getting. Um, so I really liked what, what we saw out of him, and I feel like, the fact that it was between him and Ryan Suzuki, basically, for that draft pick when the Preds were on the clock, I know Justin and I had some talks about this, and Justin was really, 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 really high on Ryan Suzuki. And the fact that they took Tomasino over him shows that 
not only does the organization think that he can be a better offensive prospect, but he also fits the system. I think if you examine the two under a microscope, Suzuki is the better offensive player, just as far as being more dynamic and probably a better goal scorer. But from what we saw from Tomasino, not only can he score goals, but he's also really good. He's got a really good eye for finding the open man. He's I don't want to compare him to Ryan Johansson because Ryan Johansson will have a wide open net and he'll still choose to pass as opposed to shoot, which I don't know why he does that. But I feel like Tomasino's kind of in the same mold where he's got the eye where he knows that there might be a teammate with a better scoring chance than he does, and he'll be able to feed them, which is which is great. You always want to see that out of a center, um, especially out of your top center prospect now, given that Nashville doesn't really have anyone in, in the cupboard that's really a true center prospect. I mean, Yakov Tren was drafted as a center. They moved him out to the left wing, which is where he's been playing in Milwaukee. Uh, Tommy Novak only had three games in Milwaukee after leaving uh, Minnesota. I feel like he could, he could be a, a, a solid player at the NHL level. Um, but Tomasino absolutely becomes the, their best center prospect, which is kind of something that they haven't really had. They've, they've lacked a true number one center until the Johansson. They haven't really had someone to develop in-house at the center position. Now they finally have it. Um, some other guys that I really like that caught my eye, uh, David Ferentz and Joachim Kondalik. What I really liked out of Kondalik, um, as a freshman, he was the second leading scorer on UConn, which is almost just unheard of for a freshman to come in and have that kind of an impact. Um, and it was a bit of a down year for UConn as well. So the fact that he came in and he was their, you know, their second biggest points producer kind of spoke volumes to just how good he was. Um, I have a great story up on Penalty Box Radio if you haven't read it about how him and Tom, Tomas Vomachka are best friends, how Vomachka convinced Kondalik to join him at UConn, and then shortly after they found out that uh, Kondalik was drafted by the Preds. So not only are they best friends and they get to go to college together, they're also in in the same with the same organization. Just a really cool story. Um, so if you hadn't go and re- go and read that, um, what I really liked that I saw out of Condalik though, um, he seems to be taking another step forward in his progression. He's a, he's improving a lot more offensively. Uh, talking to him, you can also kind of kind of sense that his confidence is growing each day. He was a fourth round pick last year, so there, there's not really a lot of expectations that come with that. But putting up the year he had at UConn, and this is his second turn in development camp. Um, he's six foot seven, so he's kind of he's a physical presence on the ice. And talking to him, you kind of get the sense that he knows that he's he's developing really well, and that he knows how to use his body, um, and he knows how to use that size advantage too, which is great for the fact that he's that he's developing offensively as well as he is. Um, and David Ferentz also impressed me too. Uh, last year, talking to him in, in development camp, it didn't really seem like he was taking things seriously. He was kind of laid back and very chill. I mean, maybe that's his personality type, but it just didn't really seem like he, he cared about being there. This year, um, you, you can really tell that he's, he's kicked it up. Uh, he didn't really seem to be showing that high motor that he had in the World Juniors when he scored that crazy goal. Uh, this year, he seems to be more motivated. Dante Fabro is leaving Boston to join the Preds. So there, there's a top four role there for Ferentz on the BU um, blue line if he wants it. And I, I feel like that's kind of motivated him a little bit. He's they tried him out at forward for a couple games and moved him to defense back and forth. He's kind of shifted up and down the Boston University lineup. So I feel like this is kind of the year where he stabilizes himself as a top four defenseman uh, for Boston. And I think he kind of takes takes that step forward because I feel like at this point, a lot of people thought he would be one of the, the Preds' top five prospects, and that's just not the case for Ferentz. Yeah, he had a lot of speed as well, which was really nice. And his transition was a lot that I could see from him. Um, yeah, I can agree that... He definitely stepped up more in this development camp. He was a player that was noticeable and didn't go under the radar by any means. So it was nice to see him progress and someone to keep progressing on as well. But 
yeah, it was nice to see them take that step up forwards to really take a shot at their game because they can make it if they really try to, uh, Ferentz, for example. But um, Tolvanen, seeing him being able to progress as well. I know I'm jumping. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's cool. But <laughs> um, seeing a player really know what their talents are and that they can improve and they can make a roster spot or can make a good fight for it, that's always great to see that they haven't lost that confidence and other people believe in them. So it's nice to know that they have that mindset as well too. The the pink elephant in the room is Ellie Tolvanen. Like we said, it's it's almost inescapable. You have to talk about the kid just because – so so much of the fan base expects him to be a 30-goal scorer right now because of the unrealistic expectations they had of that ridiculous season in the KHL and everything that followed afterwards. L- let me preface this by saying I do think Ellie Tolbinen will be a dynamite player for the Preds in the near future. However, from what I saw from him during development camp and the short four-day period that we got to watch him, I do not think he's NHL-ready right now. His, his shot is NHL-ready right now, but the rest of his game... His, his ice awareness, um, just being able to, just simple things like, you know, on a, on a breakaway, you know, catching the puck and being able to hold on to it, uh, circling around the net, finding the open man, that's still stuff, his defensive game as well, that's still stuff that he's, he's developing, he's a work in progress. I think the Preds are going to give him every chance to make the roster out of, out of camp, I just don't think he will. I think he starts the season in Milwaukee and spends a good portion of it there. And barring any injuries, I think we could see him get a call-up towards the end of the year, depending on how strong of a season he has. But I will say this. He has improved drastically from what he showed us during development camp last year. He seems to be developing exactly how you'd want. If he wasn't the first-round pick and didn't have all these expectations, no one would, would be unhappy that he's not in Nashville because he is developing. Um, the thing for him that he needs, though, is stability. You look at two years ago... He went from the KHL to the World Juniors to the Olympics to the World Championships and then to the NHL. Playing hockey on pretty much every continent imaginable. I mean, that, that's a lot of coaching change, system change, and teammate changing just for one season. Last year, he spent most of his time in the, NHL, in the AHL and a little bit in the NHL, and he looked a lot better. But he's still not NHL ready. But, like we've touched on, he has improved a lot since last year. So, out of the things that you did see from him this year, what, what has you excited about potentially seeing him this year or maybe the beginning of the year next year? I mean, still, like you said, his shot is something to really keep looking after, but what holds me back is his skating ability. And he is a player to continue watching by all means, but I'm with you on I don't think he's NHL ready. Dante Fabro from Development Camp is the only one that I would say would be. Um, but his shot, that just gives him such a great advantage. And as you mentioned, he's still overcoming adversity by switching all these teams and everything. So it's nice to see that he has his head on straight, but definitely his skating is what's killing him. And I think it's nice that last year he could have got fed up and said, well, I'm not in the NHL. I'm going to the KHL. I'm going to go back and, and do my thing. But he stayed in Milwaukee. He's committed to this team. And ultimately, that's the best thing for him. If he would have went back to the KHL, he's playing on smaller ice. And then he's got to adjust to, to the larger ice coming back here again. So... Going to Milwaukee and staying there, where ultimately is the best thing for his development, I think, I think that shows his commitment to this team and eventually making it to the NHL. What I really like that I saw from him from development camp is the fact that he's becoming more well-rounded offensively. We all know about that, that great shot that he has, but he's, he's shown now that he can crash the net and he can score from inside the crease. He's a sharper passer. He isn't content with just going and camping out in the slot and waiting for that pass to tee off, which traditionally that's been his go-to move is go to the slot wait for the pass, and tee off because that's where he can get that dynamite shot off. But 
we all know he has that part of his game. Now he's starting to pull in other things that make him more of a threat offensively, which I think is great for him. Not only just just for him, but I think it's going to help out Milwaukee, and I think it's going to ultimately make him a better pro once he do, does get called up. The thing that everyone kind of needs to keep in mind is that he's still just 20 years old. He can't even legally drink yet. There's no harm in giving him one more full season in Milwaukee, letting him develop and calling him up next year for a more permanent spot in the NHL, if that's how the team decides to play it. it we, we saw it with Kevin Fiala, which he might not be the best example because he was kind of a disappointment, but we saw it with, with Philip Forsberg too. There's, there's no shame in letting them take a year or two to, de- to develop before you call them up. So that'll do it for the first episode of Season 3 of the Road to Nashville podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media at Penalty Box Radio, at mpatrickg 5 and what's your Twitter handle? At GailMartin24. There you go. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and follow us there at Penalty Box Radio. Um, hopefully we informed you of some, some cool prospect stuff, and thanks for listening.